with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to the RoboHub podcast and our very last episode of 2017. We're finishing off the year with a positive story from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and North Carolina State University, where researchers are working on a method of tuning powered lower limb prostheses. Professor Helen Huang and her team are interested in how humans and wearable tech interact with each other particularly in a rehabilitation context, working with amputees. She spoke to our interviewer Audro about how powered prostheses can be adjusted for each patient, how she's using supervised and reinforcement learning to tune prostheses, and the challenges this entails. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi. Can you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Halong Huang. I'm a professor uh, in a biomedical engineering department, which is a joint department between uh, NC State University and the UNC at Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about your research interests? Uh, my research, uh, you know, my research interest lies in uh, understand how human and wearable robots interact with each other, mm-hmm. and uh, we also develop a technology that allow the device, the wearable robot, to be smart and can coordinate with the human and the environment. Uh, so my major focus currently is a prosthetic device, both upper limb and the lower limb. Mm-hmm. And so what motivates your work? Yeah, so I really, really enjoy uh, working uh, in the biomedical engineering because, you know, you're using uh, technology trying to figure out the best way to help people uh, to improve their quality of life. Uh, the other is I happen to have a great training uh, as a rehabilitation engineering. So I had a training on the technology uh, in the neuroengineering, helping people with a spinal cord injury. Uh, I also develop uh, robots to help stroke patients uh, for recovery. Uh, I, uh, my postdoc training is uh, at a lab that focuses on prosthetic device. I just really love it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so who are you trying to help? So my major uh, clinic population now uh, focus in my lab is amputee, so people lost the uh, limb. Uh, and again, I focus on both upper limb and the lower limb amputee, uh, addressing a different aspect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, tell me a bit about the lower amputee research okay. that you're doing. What is the problem you're trying to solve? All right. So um, I started to work on a lower limb persistence control probably uh, it's more, already more than 10 years. So at the time, uh, there are a couple of innovative uh, device which is powered. So most of the prosthetic lag is a passive. That means it does not provide the power, the net, uh, net power to allow person, let's say, you know, from sitting to standing. Uh, and then by the time that I was entering this field, so there's a couple of new technology uh, just came out. So they have a powered knee. So the knee joint is powered with the motor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also from uh, MIT Hewhart, they have a powered ankle just released. Uh, so I'm very excited to see, uh, you know, the advance in the mech- mechatronics. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I also see the, the challenge for control side. 
because those devices are controlled uh, using a state machine. So basically, uh, everything's automated, so autonomous control. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how you program that, then the lag going to be behave uh, just based on how you pro- program mm-hmm. uh, the device. Just to understand the state machine a little bit better, what kind of events are changing state and... How does this work, basically? Okay, so basically, first, the biomechanics study uh, really well on the human behavior in terms of locomotion. Mm-hmm. And then usually you cut the, you know, the one gate cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one full step. Right, yes. So into a couple of phases. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say, you know, your leg is on the ground, then it's a stance phase. When mm-hmm. your leg is in a swing, then it's a swing phase. Mm-hmm. And each phase, it behaves differently. And it's a well-studied behavior. So in a state machine, so they borrow this, uh, you know, from the biomechanic uh, understanding of the gate. So they design the state machine. So each state is actually the phase. And then they describe the system behavior. For example, the lag, how the joint is going to move or uh, how, how they design the joint impedance based on this phase. Mm-hmm. So each phase, they have a different behavior. So that's how it's called the finite state machine. Okay, so that w- an example of that would be we are swinging the foot. Yep. That would be swinging phase. Yes. A swing phase. And then when the foot comes into contact with the heel, mm-hmm. then we are entering which phase? Stance phase. Stance phase? Yes. Okay, and then how do we know we're going back to swing phase? What, what, what events are we looking for? Yeah, so we also see a toe off, for example. Mm-hmm. And then so there's... the weight rolls to the toe, and then yes. we do a little push off? Right. So okay. you, if you have a load cell on the, de- uh, you know, the device, mm-hmm. then you will read uh, whether uh-huh. or not the foot is on the ground or not. So we'll be aware of this by force sensors. Yes, yes. Um, and perhaps they use something like an inertial measurement unit with an accelerometer and gyroscope? They do. So, it de- so different groups define uh, this phase in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, clinic, they have a different way to describe gait as well. Some people define five gait phases, some people define two, or some people define seven. So this is the same for uh, prosthetic lag design. Uh, so people using a different type of definition of the phase or okay. state. So that could be like if we come into stance phase, mm-hmm. then maybe our leg is compressing and we call that compression. So there would be stance compression. And then when we're about to push off uh, to our flight phase, then there's a stance decompression phase, for example. Yeah, you could define that way. Um, One arbitrary way of right. defining this. Okay. Yes. So continuing with... What we were talking about. So we have the state machine, and this is now. How do we control this? Yeah. So, so the state machine uh, will generate uh, when when it when the person walking on level ground. So this is cyclic motion, mm-hmm. and then if you program this uh, device well, then it's really behave just like a biologic joints. So that is how it work. The challenge is. What if there's a terrain change? For example, if you walk on level ground, then start to, uh, you know, seeing the ramp, uh, what are you going to do? The other one will be, what if, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the design of autonomous control uh, is a specific for this person, but this person started to adapt to the device. They wanted mm-hmm. more power. They wanted to, uh, you know, generate. They, they, they probably also gain a weight. So you're gonna describe a different control parameter inside. All these uh, changes, like environment change or human change, mm-hmm. the device cannot adapt to it. So they use a fixed behavior, 
Um, so that's the challenge I see uh, for using this powered device uh, is a lack of that adaptation to the environment and also the, their user. Okay, so how do we set the device up typically? That's a great question. So in a clinic, currently in a clinic, what they did uh, is uh, prosthetist going to mm-hmm. describe those uh, parameters. They have to customize, personalize this uh, parameter for individual person. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they just basically trial and error approach. They, um, they have an app uh, or you know, computer interface with the, all the parameters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they let a person to walk back and forth, and then they manually adjust uh, the parameter and let a person to walk again mm-hmm. until they feel this is good. So the person with the amputation comes in to the prosthesis, and the prosthesis come, uh, has them walk back and forth while tuning various parts yes. of the powered foot that yes. they're using? Yes, the power joint. Powered, ang- powered yes. joint, yes. Okay, what kind of parameters are we talking about? That, um, so different device, uh, they might generate a different value. Would it be like how much push-off the thing has or how much spring like damping? Yes. When? Parameters, yes. So could it be a impedance? Could it be a power? Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on the joint, let's say knee and ankle will be yeah. different. Of and course. also different device, uh, you know, different company, they generate a different controller, then, you know, the parameter might vary. But none, all the, all the devices currently in the market need to be customized. Mm-hmm. And so we do that by having the clinician... Tune these parameters. Okay. And then you mentioned that the patient adapts, may adapt Mm -hmm. to the device. Yeah. So what what do you mean by that? So imagine that, you know, you just started to learn um, uh, the roller skate. Is it called a roller skate? Yes. Right. Uh, Maybe, you know, after two or three sessions, you started to get used to it. So you start, you learned. Mm -hmm. But so you, you know, practice and you get better. Exactly. After maybe uh, you know, ten sessions, then you are at a different level. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, the device, you know, you provided the parameters. They feel good uh, in the first session. Usually, uh, the toning procedure is a one or two session. That's it, uh, and then they go home just using the fixed um, parameter. Let's say the person getting used to it, and then they feel good about it. They wanted to walk faster. They wanted to uh, have a more power, but they can't adjust those parameters. Mm-hmm. And so this is what you were interested in. Right. And then they, they have to come back to the clinic to uh, adjust again. So this happens a lot. So people are going to revisit uh, their prosthetist to readjust those parameters. So tell me a bit about your method. Yeah, so I thought about this uh, challenge, and then I have, you know, reading a couple of uh, work uh, early on. There are people trying to use a model, uh, you know, muscular skeletal model, to estimate uh, joint impedance, and then there are also uh, people trying to use an experimental way uh, to calculate the biological joint impedance, so that you know, what if they know how the biological ankle joint impedance are, and then they can apply on the process. What do you mean joint impedance? Um, so our joint, like biological joints, like, like yes, joint? yes. Stiffing. Stiffing, yeah. So how stiff you're keeping it. Okay. Yes. Uh, but there are a lot of assumptions you have to make. Um, 
therefore, you know, I haven't seen a very successful case uh, in this in using this approach to customize uh, the precision um, parameters. So, and then, just to be explicit, mm-hmm. uh, you are using the models to inform the first guess for the parameters. Not me. So other researcher. Oh, so other I'm, researchers. Yeah. Okay. And then I have seen this is haven't been moving mm-hmm. quickly forward. So I was thinking about this problem as a control problem. Mm-hmm. If you know, uh, prosthetist would be able to, you can treat the prosthetist as uh, maybe a, some smart machine, and then you see you observe what the state of uh, the user, which is the user plus processes, how they perform. Mm-hmm. And then you can make a decision. So you have action to adjust the parameters. And then you have another set of the behavior of the system. Mm-hmm. So this is actually a control problem. Uh, so and then I thought, OK, how about I make this smart machine mm-hmm. that trying to replace uh, the role of a prosthetist? That's my initial uh, concept. So I apply the expert system. So it's a type of machine learning approach, trying to learn from human, human expert. And then uh, you, you build this smart machine, you're going to do the same thing. So I did publish uh, work uh, about maybe two or three years ago on this approach. It works. Uh, it, it, it can update uh, the parameter almost the same time we find uh, the machine actually is more efficient compared to, in terms of e- efficient, means they are faster uh, compared to a uh, human expert. Because a human usually adjust one parameter at a time. But the machine, once they learn this rule, they can adjust, update uh, multiple parameters at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then we, we also find out that the, you know, my approach, the human uh, performance, and then we compare the human performance and the machine performance. They mm-hmm. are comparable. Well, this is not a surprise because you know uh, our machine is learning from this person. Mm-hmm. Um, but this approach also has a challenge. The challenge is we're learning from a limited number of uh, human experts. Yes. So everyone has their you know every clinician or an, any prosthetist that they have their own preference. So your machine learning from limited number of human experts, they might be very biased or they have a preference actually copy from uh, these people. So what you're doing is using the prosthetist who mm-hmm. sets the parameters yes. and the parameters that they set mm-hmm. the device to, you're using that as a ground truth? Yes. And then you are using an algorithm that analyzes how many prosthetists have set the ground truth to on different devices? You're, no. You're no. So this is uh, what I did is I observed. So first I need to collect the data. Any machine learning, uh, yes. a lot of machine learning approach, you do need to... Train and test. Yes, yes. exactly. So that you can tra- think about this as a training procedure. Mm-hmm. So we have to observe how the preset is to make action and then right after this action, what is the person's behavior, right? So the state of the system. And then we, we record another set of action and the behavior. So these are like input and output of 
my smart machine. Mm -hmm. And then I base on what I collected to build my machine. Just like all the training data, it's important to select the right training data to build your machine. So this is the same thing. If you have a limited number of uh, human experts, for for example, if we only use one, Mm -hmm. then your machine is only copy the knowledge of this one person. And then mm-hmm. this knowledge might be biased yeah. based on this person's preference. Why not have multiple clinicians or prosthetists? Why not have multiple of them set parameters for the same patient and then kind of average it or use some sort of filtering to eliminate this bias or at least reduce it? Yeah, this is a great uh, question. And actually, this is what I'm trying to do now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking to a couple of prosthetic uh, company yes. uh, because this require the collect the data from uh, clinics, toning clinics. Mm-hmm. So you, you're probably going to take a multiple uh, clinic session from the different prosthetists. And also they are dealing with different patients. And then once you collect those data, you might be able to figure out what is the computer rule mm-hmm. you wanted to make. However, this requires a lot of resources, so I'm trying to get a funding for this uh, idea. Yes. Um, still working on it. Yes. Um, but you, you see that the challenge is, uh, is the, about the resource, being able to assess the clinical data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then honestly, nobody, no company, prosthetic company, actually collecting those data. Mm-hmm. I see. All right, so now how are you analyzing performance here? How do you determine if the patient is improving by you tuning the parameters or not? Okay, so the interface, the computer interface that provided to prosthetist, their instruction majorly dominated by the kinematics. So is this at this phase, yep. for example... So at how the person walks, basically. Yes. If it looks right, yes. then they... Exactly. So they look majorly on, let's say it's a prosthetic knee, then they majorly look at how uh, the knee uh, joint angle mm-hmm. uh, at a different phase. Do they meet the desired value? Okay. So that's a Does this mean that they're tracking, like you have motion capture on all of these subjects and you infer the yes. position of yes. each of their limbs? Okay. Yes. Uh, and also, clinicians probably looking more than this. So they also receive the feedback from the user. The mm. user will say, you know, this feels good. Or they say, I don't like it. Mm. Then they would also adjust based on the user's uh, feedback. They can also visually observe the person's, for example, balance. right? So therefore, could it be a multiple factor effects uh, the human, the prosthetist, to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but majorly in the interface, dominant by the knee or ankle joint kinematics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this is the same for computer, right? So if you know what clinician... So we're using motion capture and then comparing... Yes, we're using a kind of IMU sensor. Inertial measurement units, yes. yes. Exactly. So accelerometer and gyroscope, yeah. yes. To uh, quantify the kinematics because the toning usually is on the level ground. But in the laboratory, we do use a motion capture system. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so that's infrared beacons. You figure out where the beacons are, and then you fill a skeletal model to it, and then you infer where all the limbs are. Right. Okay. Now, how many parameters are there that you're tuning? Uh, for my device, uh, the platform, the, yes. the processes that I'm using, I adjust, I believe, 9 to 12. 
9 to 12? Yes. And is this just for an ankle prosthesis? No, this is for uh, knee prosthetic device that I made uh, in, in my lab. Yes. Yep. Gotcha. Now, so one thing about having different clinicians and training all of these people with this data, mm-hmm. or tra- training the way of fitting, the, I don't know, finding the optimal parameters. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that they might have a bias. If they have a bias, maybe they consistently look for some specific thing and it makes a person walk in this way. If there are multiple solutions, mm-hmm. how does that affect training your machine learning thing? Because you would end up somewhere in the middle, perhaps, if they would be reaching for different solutions. Based on my uh, my current published uh, the results, based on this approach, yeah. uh, we do observe that the person, I mean, the parameters essentially adjust that can meet the criteria, like say the person walk uh, looks good, you know, the kinematics looks good. There are multiple parameters can meet that. Mm-hmm. So they're, they are not it's into, not right. No so you don't yes. have unique solution. And is it okay? If you're adding more constraint, for example, you also add in, let's assume using a metabolic cost, mm-hmm. uh, you want to have a minimal uh, metabolic cost, you're probably going to narrow down the range uh, of the solution. Yes. So, But based on current uh, our set, uh, criteria, uh, you're right. We have uh, multiple solutions that all can meet uh, what we uh, want to achieve. Okay, but the thing is, even with that, you use some sort of feedback. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a bit about how you are learning from the patient as they're continuing the trial? So I have a two machine learning approach. Oh, okay. Yes. One is expert system. So we are all talking about expert system. Okay. The second one is uh, we, we use a reinforcement learning. Mm-hmm. Reinforcement learning is we don't even learn from the human expert. So we don't need the human expert. It's oh. purely based on the machine. Machine gonna learn mm-hmm. uh, based on they you know they they also you know probe the system like giving a different parameters and they see the behavior of the person and then the machine will learn oh you know if I do this the human gonna behave like that if I do that way then the person gonna improve so if they learn these rules based mm-hmm. on probing the system so that's a reinforcement learning which do not copy from the human expert. It's a purely machine learning, yes. And so what are you optimizing for with the reinforcement learning? So our current um, uh, published work is based on the knee kinematics as well. So we wanted the knee kinematics to meet the normal uh, knee kinematics. If you put a point on the knee that it follows a certain height or something in the trajectory, is this what it is exactly? Yes, so for optim- but we adjust the joint impedance, so it's not position control. Yes. Yes. So uh, we wanted to meet the knee kinematics that uh, we we wanted to tone in the knee kinematics that can meet. Uh, you also the, do joint the, angle in this kind of thing as well. Yes. I see. And then let, let me let me put this way, I'm not claiming meeting the knee kinematics is the optimal. So for my first uh, uh, attempt, publish the work, is just seeing if it's possible to use a reinforcement learning to solve this problem. So you have to start from somewhere. And then since uh, people reporting their device always say they meet almost normal knee kinematics or ankle kinematics, 
uh, or maybe a, a tort profile. And also for the interface that I just mentioned for human expert, mm -hmm. they look a lot on the behavior of the device kinematics. So therefore, we choose, uh, you know, the, our first bet is mm -hmm. uh, to adjust, uh, to optimize the knee kinematics more looks like normal uh, able-bodied person's uh, uh, So you're using the knee profile. kinematics of a, an yes. able-bodied person yes. as ground truth? Yes. And, okay. then, and then we also have a user. So the reinforcement signal is mm -hmm. one is an arrow how, uh, you know, this measured uh, curve mm -hmm. versus your desired curve, what's the arrow? And then also the reinforcement signal, including a button uh, pushed by the user. So let's say, you know, you have knee kinematics that meets perfect, mm. but the user hate it. The user going to push a button. Then that means we'll tell your uh, machine they don't like it, this is not the right set of uh, parameter, then this, this reinforcement signal will go back to the system, uh, let the neural network to learn as well. So you basically are throwing out the old parameters if they push a button. Is that true? Okay, so when there's a reinforcement signal coming in, so there are two networks. One is action network, and then the other is a critic net, uh, network. Mm -hmm. So Action network is basically you take the system state and then you decide uh, what is the output. So, for example, in this time, the state would be the, the joint kinematics. Mm -hmm. And then the output state, uh, output of the system will be uh, adjustment of joint impedance. So there are 12 impedance you mm -hmm. have to adjust. And then the critical action is, uh, network is to uh, judge how well so based on the input-output mm -hmm. and the reinforcement signal, they would judge how well this action is. So the both network is updating based on um, the reinforcement signal and the feedback mm -hmm. online. And so why did you choose not to use the metabolic cost as uh, a way of optimizing? Yeah, so I have seen uh, work uh, about talking about optimization of the walking will be meta reduced the metabolic cost. Uh, so from control point of view, mm -hmm. um, it, it, so first, it, it responds very, very slow. So the good accurate recording, uh, reading of a metabolic cost requires seven minutes. Mm. And so um, you're talking about by using the VO2? Yes, and the so portable. Okay, so that's where a person wears a breath mask, yes. and the amount of oxygen they consume each breath exactly. is used to energize, is used to indicate how much energy they're burning yes. at that time. Yes. So that's a seven minutes uh, delay, and then the second one will be the uh, reading is very very noisy. Uh, so the accuracy is uh, some, somehow questionable. You have to control a lot of things. For example, uh, you need to control walking speed. Because people, uh, since the metabolic cost uh, measurement is um, sensitive to walking speed, mm -hmm. uh, stepping frequency, um, and then also maybe a temperature. Uh, also, um, you know, uh, the, uh, so, so there's uh, some other uh, variables would also affect. So I, I think in a clinic, if someone uh, during the toning, you can see most of the people is uh, walking on the level ground. Mm -hmm. They don't have a fixed speed. It's not on the treadmill. Not every clinic has a treadmill. Uh, 
So that's a challenge, I think, from the practical point of view, uh, mm-hmm. and also from because the system response is so slow and then also noisy. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a good. Uh, it, I just feel this is probably we can try it later, uh, see how it works.、Uh, but again, my first、uh, impression is we should follow what the clinic is、uh, trying to do, and then what.、Uh, People pay more attention to you know the, how the machine behave first、mm-hmm. because essentially you adjust is the one joint impedance、uh, or two joint impedance parameters.、Mm-hmm. You should look, yeah.、Angle. So you should look,、okay. yeah. You should look at those、uh, those system state.、Mm-hmm. So who are? How do you test? Who are you working on? Do you, is it exclusively amputees? Yes. Um, But I, I saw a video where some one of I suppose it was your grad student and they had your their legs stuck yes, out with yes. the fake. So we we did、uh, um, proof of concept.、Uh, you know, we needed to consider the patient's safety. We wanted to make sure if we bring patients here,、uh, we are confident、uh, they are you know they can they can walk with the, this algorithm. This algorithm won't go crazy.、Uh, so. Uh, but I also understand that we as an able-bodied person, this is also a safety issue. So we have the the harness system、uh, to protect. What、so、do you mean we, a harness above them? Yes, constraining the them so they don't fall. That's right. So it's a four arrest uh, uh, harness system、uh, for all the experiments we conduct. So they wear like a rock climbing harness, and they're. Yes. Exactly. Tied to the ceiling.、Yes. Okay. And then、um, we first test the able-bodied person.、Uh, that we made a special、uh, adapter so that they can walk with the power knee.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we tried the algorithm, see how to work.、Uh, okay. Can you describe the the thing you developed、mm-hmm. so that an able-bodied person can walk with the knee? Oh, so it's a, a special adapter. Looks like a letter L. Yeah. And then you can just、uh, you know bending your knee. And then um, uh, wrap uh, this adapter around your uh, 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 your leg, and then the knee device is under that L shape.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, you bending the knee to walk, basically on the, this power device. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And and then、uh, once we、uh, confident this would work,、uh, and then especially when we wanted to.、Um, Understand how amputee perform because able-bodied person and amputee they they do behave differently. So then we will bring amputee subject to come over to to try this.、Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell me, do you have、uh, have you tried this on amputee people who have amputations? Yes, multiple. And tell me about the results.、Um, for the first one, the expert system,、uh, it does work. Uh, and then we again we compared how human expert toning results versus uh, uh, machine toning results. Again, their performance is comparable. So for、uh, reinforcement learning、uh, approach, we try、um, using the machine learning、uh, applied on MPT. We have、uh, multiple sessions that will be、uh, successful. Means essentially the kinematics will、uh, converge. Into、uh, you know our desired、uh, mm-hmm. knee kinematics,、uh, together with the user has、uh, loved the the parameters. But we also have failed one that the machine never、uh, converge, so they just、uh, keep learning, keep learning.、Um, I think this is interesting part is about the human adaptation. So 
user also,、uh, you know, when you adjust certain body parts or you know the external environment, user also using a different、uh, strategy to compensate.、Um, so we believe for the sessions that didn't go really successful, that I believe the human behaviors behavior also change over time. That caused the the problem. I see. Yeah. So therefore. We are interested to understand how the human and the robots co-adapt because both side has adapt adaptive、uh, capability now. Yes.、Mm-hmm. And so, what is your future work? My future work,、um, I think, there's multiple questions、uh, I want to ask. The first question is, what is optimal?、Uh, so, what is object function for the you know your optimal control? Like you mentioned, why don't you use the metabolics? But why sh- should I use metabolics, right? Why this is is this the parameters to judge how well the person walk?、Uh, should we using asymmetry, or should we use、uh, maybe a stability?、Uh, so, so those are the questions、uh, we don't know, and I don't think anyone in our field really truly know. So we just all、uh, everyone choose,、uh, you know, their first bet. What what they think it's. It's the most likely would be successful, and then using that. So I believe,、um, you know, this is the question that I feel that has to be、uh, kind of addressed.、Uh, and I think probably there's multiple parameters. It, it can't be just the one one thing. So that that's the first one, and the second one is about、uh, I just mentioned the human machine co-adaptation. So.、Um, Again, the when the you see for the processes, you only have one or two joints that belong to machine, and then, but for human, for amputee, wear a device, most of the joints is controlled by the user. The user has a much a lot of influence on the behavior of the entire human processes system, so you can't forget about the human. Right. So then, how do they really co-adapt? How do you design a controller that can exactly doing, you know, they can collaborate to doing the same task and with the goal to allow the person walk better? So that is actually a great question. I think again, a lot of emphasis because this is probably robotic、um, conference. People are more focused on the robotic side. But don't forget about human. That's another part. I think it's、uh, interesting, and I wanted to spend time、uh, to to conduct some research to understand how they collaborate. And then the last one will be about the safety. People always ask, you know, when you have smart things, you have to make sure the machine is safe. Why people using a state machine? Because it's predictable. You pre-programmed、uh, the device, so everything is predictable.、Um, And then, relatively, it's safe. So, those are the questions. I think that's for future.、Um, you know, no matter what algorithm we're using for adjust the parameter or, or adaptive control the device,、uh, these are the, the things that I think it's important for the field to to answer. And lastly, what advice do you wish you had received in grad school or before entering grad school? Um, so I really think in order to be successful in graduate school, you need to、uh, 
have a perseverance. Yeah, stick with, with uh, you know, what do you do? Two, you really have to be passionate. Believe what do you do? Yeah, there's a challenge、um, because you're doing research, so a lot of things is uncertain.、Um, so you really have to、uh, passionate. You really have to love it, and then being able to spend enough time to read,、uh, to explore.、Uh, And then finally, I think it's a, as a successful PhD, really have to be innovative. Come up with that. If you know the field、uh, for you know studied in the field for four or five years, you should have a lot of a lot of ideas.、Uh, and don't be afraid; it's a crazy ideas. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And that's the end of our podcast series for 2017. The Robohub podcast team wish you all a very merry festive season, and we'll be back with more podcast episodes in the new year. But before we sign off, just a quick reminder that you can now sponsor us on Patreon to allow us to produce even more exciting and engaging content in 2018. Just check out robohub.org/podcast for more information on our Patreon campaign, and of course. All our past episodes. Our next brand new episode will air in January. Until then, goodbye. Rehab with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.